It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Lockdown Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It is our favorite episode of the week, the mailbag. Before we get there, though, we do need to do a quick update of our Mock Madness series as the Jonah Williams versus Dwayne Haskins. At the time of recording, that contest is ongoing, and it is the closest we've had to date, with Jonah Williams trailing Dwayne Haskins by a count of 42% to 58% on almost 1,000 votes. Yeah, and that's close and pretty much what we expected. I, I thought it would be a slight lead for Haskins, but what this says is a lot of people uh, don't want Haskins, and a lot of people do, I guess, uh, you know, obviously. But, uh, you know, I kind of expected not as many votes because this would be a harder question, but quarterback always brings a lot of debate. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I personally, I think I voted for Haskins just because for me – it's a question of, do I want a guy that's going to maybe start at tackle next year, or maybe he's not even a tackle in the eyes of the Bengals, or do I want a quarterback that potentially starts next year for the Bengals? Right. I also voted for Haskins, but I did think about it for a while. 
It's 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 a hard question, I think, because if you want to build around Dalton, the answer is clearly Jonah Williams. If you if you think right. that you got to build around somebody else, well, the opportunity to draft a quarterback is why I ultimately slided with a lesser player, in my opinion, because I think Jonah Williams is really good. Yeah, and we'll talk about what cause we have some good questions about quarterback versus best player available kind of stuff coming up in the mailbag. So let's not get too much into it now. We do have another contest coming up. And that is going to be TJ Hawkinson against Montez Sweat. Two, I think, of the most realistic options at 11 left in our bracket, besides maybe Devin Bush. Right. Yeah. And the Bengals had Montez Sweat in for a workout. Uh, I don't think the Hawkinson, I don't think they've been linked with many tight ends. We have one guy checked on our our spreadsheet right now. But uh, But they need a tight end. They, yeah, I would say they need a tight end. And it's, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if neither guy was even there. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if both guys were there and available, and maybe even go a little bit later. So, when, uh, yeah, when they drafted Eifert, did they didn't they not meet with Eifert? No at contact. All? Yeah, it was no contact. No contact. Yeah, and that's because they didn't expect them to be there. That tends, right. you know, yeah. that can happen when you project and you try and line up your visits. Uh, so yeah, I. I wouldn't be surprised with either pick, actually, if it happened, because they've been connected with a lot of front seven edge defensive line type guys. A lot of them, yeah. Throughout the draft, too, not just first round guys, with uh, Henri St. Amour coming in. I'm assuming it's Henri. It looks like a French name. I thought so. Uh, I'm with you. uh, They've had a lot of those edge guys, and I think on our spreadsheet, we have the most check marks on on edge, do we not? And linebacker, I thought. Edge linebacker. So Josh Front Allen, seven. Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary, Jalen Ferguson, Henri St. Amour. I guess it's only five. That's still a lot. Right. Five out of 30. Those are, those are known. I'm also going to eventually go on and check where reported coaches have been for pro days because that mm-hmm. can sometimes have a good. Yep. So I think there's a good chance that they're interested in an edge guy at 11. I think there's a good chance they're interested in an, in an edge guy after 11 as well. Just judging from the guys that they've met with, a lot more of the first round top 11 guys have met with at the defensive uh, defensive end edge position than really anywhere. They have met with a lot of linebackers. And it just be, to keep it between Sweat and Hawkinson, uh, on our board we have Hawkinson number 7 and Sweat 13. So not a big gap between them in terms of grade, but... Uh, just how we would see it. And I guess when you put it, bring in positional value and say, well, definitely edge rusher is more important than tight end. It's going to make this pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The, the one question with sweat, of course, there is, do the Bengals view his issues at Michigan state poorly? Do you view Montez sweats issues getting thrown off the team at Michigan state poorly? They didn't. They voted for him over Cleveland Farrell. Yeah. But I think that he's clearly a better player than Cleveland Farrell too. I would agree. And uh, we also, when after the Bengals brought in Sweat or it was announced publicly, I got some information in my, you know, how, how I normally do, but got some information that Sweat could be there even later, as in maybe he's a second-round target, which is interesting. Yeah, and if he becomes a Carlos Dunlap of the future and they get him in the second round and he, he is, well, if he's, if he's the same kind of guy Carlos Dunlap is, well, then he's Great. the best human in the world. <laughs> But, you know, if he's the same player as Carlos Dunlap in the second round, that's also great for the Bengals. Yep. That's one of their best picks of the last, you know, generation. Yeah, him, Gino. Yeah. Eifert. uh, Well, I don't know. Anyway, uh, (laughs) 
Let's get into the questions. We'll have that poll question up. You'll have a day to vote on it, and you'll get to pick TJ Hawkinson. Moving on to face the linebacker. That's the linebacker side of the bracket, right? Yeah, yep. So it'll be TJ Hawkinson or Montez Sweat to move on and face the winner of Devin White, Devin Bush. Which will be Sunday night, Monday Monday's uh, poll question. So that one I think is the most fun, Devin White, Devin Bush. And I can't wait to see what people vote on that also. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a good one. So we're going to get into the questions. I know a lot of you are wondering, why aren't you talking about the schedule? Well, we have a lot of questions about the schedule, so we'll talk about them when we get into the questions. Joe, who's our first question from? It's from Alex. I thought you'd be excited point. to say the name. You know me. And it goes by at Twitter at Dagda, Dagda, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Alex with a cat in your, in your avatar. He says or asks, what's the most important game this season to prove this is a new team? Prime time at Steelers, Patriots, Rams? Oh, I think it's easy. Prime time at Steelers, right? If, if you're going to say that Zach Taylor is the cure to all that ails Bengals fans for the last 16 years, it means that he's going to fix them in primetime games, and it means he's going to fix them against the Steelers, especially in Pittsburgh. If they win that game, if they win that game convincingly, well, that's gone a long way in convincing me that Zach Taylor's the guy. Especially for the start of the season, looking at the schedule, it looks, I mean, besides the Seahawks, which are, can be beatable, it's in Seattle home opener, so that'll be tough, but... If they win the next two and then go on to beat the Steelers and you're three and one at that point, it's a great start, obviously. Yeah. But I will also I will say the Patriots because yeah. that's late in the season. It's at home. Uh, we've seen the Bengals beat really good teams early in the year. The Patriots before this, this uh, the Seahawks before the Packers. You remember these games? They were early in the year when the Bengals have typically played much better under Fair. Marvin Lewis. Yeah, it's the December games where it's like, man, you lose confidence because they lose to these good teams in November and December that you yeah. say, yeah, they're not going to do it, and if they get into the playoffs, so you you play that game, play competitively. You don't even have to win. You play competitively with the Patriots in December. I, I'm going to feel much more confident about this team. It'll be interesting that that Patriots game is directly after the at Cleveland game. That's the first time they'll play the Browns all year. And if Freddie Kitchens is a real deal and they can work out whatever issues they have in the early season and get a solid team going, that yeah. that might be, you know, those 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 two games could be really tough. Sandwiched yep. by versus Jets at Miami, which should be relatively easy, I think, unless Sam Darnold is the truth. That's the thing. They've got a lot of against last year's um first round quarterbacks they got a lot of games i I mean they play baker twice they play rosen they play um well it's not gonna be rosen right it's gonna be murray this can be this big likely murray right so let me start let me start over they're gonna play baker twice they're gonna play darnold they're gonna play josh allen they're gonna play lamar Lamar jackson Jackson twice twice. right they are going to whoever emerges and you got to think maybe even half of them emerge and the other half don't that becomes two hard two or three much harder games than they they should be Yeah, one last note on the schedule before we go to the next question, because we're going to talk about the schedule a lot. The projected strength of schedule being tied for the second easiest. I mean, that that we're all clear that that doesn't mean anything, right? No, it means something. Well, as predictive value, man, people use it. Look at the times the Bengals have made the playoffs. They've usually had an easy schedule. And now maybe that's a Marvin Lewis thing. Is that an easy schedule at the end of the year or an easy schedule at the beginning of the year? And both, usually. It, it has some carryover. The way one, it works out at the end of the year over. is much more interesting to me. Of course, but we can't predict that. Like, this is weighed down by the Browns being a 7-8-1 and one team. The Browns this year are likely to be a 10-16. and 16, so Well, I just said a lot of these teams could be much better be, based on their quarterback play in year two. Yeah. So this could end up going from the second easiest to that's, a middle of the pack for Harper. 
the the 49ers were missing their quarterback all year the cardinals might still be a train wreck but the the bills have a quarterback going into his second year the ravens have a quarterback and in going into their second year cardinals had the hardest schedule going into last year where they end up picking the Bucks had the second hardest. The Cardinals they were a terrible team. I know, but that sometimes it coincides. Are you I talking mean, about the preseason strength of schedule? Or yes. The po- okay. May. In all May. Right, all right. All right. I mean, it, there has some uh, predictive value to it. If you're a bad team with a hard schedule, guess what's going to happen? Uh, you're well, gonna obviously. Bad. Right. So my point is, if you're a good team with a hard schedule, you can overcome it. If what about if you're a bad team with an easy schedule? Well, sometimes it works out that way, and you can make the playoffs. Or you can suck. The Raiders had an easy schedule last year. We're a bad team, and they end up with a top-five pick. I think that the Bengals' strength of schedule is going to be very far at the end of the season from where it is today. It depends on how many of those games they win, right? Well, if they're a good team, that strength part of schedule it. looks easy. That's certainly part of it. Our next question comes from Pete Wensler at Bear1297. What's the happiest the Bengals have ever made you? And what's the saddest the Bengals have ever made you? I think we've talked about the saddest, actually. Let's not... Maybe get into that one. Let's stay positive. What's the happiest the Bengals have ever made you? I am struggling with the happiest part. And I don't know why. I, I'm thinking, because there's been a lot of great, awesome moments. And I think of, like, wins at the end of the game. Or, um, you know, they, there's been a lot of cardiac cap moments from with Carson Palmer, with Andy Dalton. I, I'm thinking Carson Palmer versus the Ravens in 09 and, and against the Steelers and and those comebacks at the end of the games, I think I was ecstatic then. But I honestly, I'm going to say, and this is why this game sticks out for everyone and will hurt for such a long time. The happiest mo- moment of being a Bengals oh, fan God. was Vontaze Perfect intercepting that pass and running through the tunnel. Yeah. Followed by the saddest moment within minutes. Hard and, to argue. And the the opposite of the spectrum is why that game hurt so bad. Yeah. Yeah, but what about that that regular season? They had a late season win in Pittsburgh to go to the playoffs. When was that? You talking about TJ Hushmanzada era, Chad Carson, or are you talking about 09? I don't yeah. remember. Remember the drive in 09? Um, Brian Leonard had a couple catches on that last one. I want to say they hit Chad Johnson over the middle for the touchdown on fourth down. Carson Palmer scrambles around a little bit. Whatever it is, it no, involves it wasn't. The it wasn't Chad. It was Andre Caldwell. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. I remember that now. Uh, whatever my happiest memory is, it involves beating the Steelers. Yeah. Or almost beating the Steelers in my case. Well, I mean, I just don't want to that, – that's like – I just don't want to think about that. That was it though. I know. I just don't want it to be. All right. Um, next question from Ben Lutas. Ben, you ask questions every week. We appreciate you. Uh, he asks, if you could take any quarterback in the league on their current contract and put them on the Bengals – who would it be? Jake and I agree that this is too easy of a question if we just take current contracts. So we're going to pick one rookie contract, one veteran contract. Because the rookie contract, the easy question, obvious question, is the MVP of the league in Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, if you go if you go with any contract in the league, it's 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 Patrick Mahomes followed by Baker Mayfield followed by Drew or sorry Deshaun Watson probably. Sure. Yeah. So those are your rookie quarterbacks, and then. The veteran quarterbacks, that's a little bit interesting because maybe you want Teddy Bridgewater on his $3.25 million, which is cheaper than a rookie deal, but you have a guy who maybe is a capable start in the NFL. You can still build around him. But for me, if I'm taking a veteran contract in the NFL, I think it's Andrew Luck because his cap number, I think in the next few years, with inflation happening, I think it'll stay below $30 million, and I think most quarterbacks are going above $30 million. And he's got he's got a long time left on it. He's still relatively young and showed that he still can play at an elite level last year. And I'll say Tom Brady because he's 
Obviously, yeah. the best quarterback in terms of greatness, for sure. But uh, only one year left. But he's always got a team-friendly deal, so his cap number wouldn't be insane. His cap number is $27 million, fourth highest yeah. in the NFL right now. This is the last year of his deal. Normally, it's been much cheaper for the Patriots. So, yeah, I know the argument. But I would just take the best guy and say I'll figure it out after that. Yeah. $22 million last year, which is all the way down to, what, 11th in the, the 12th in the league this year. So, Next question comes from Beast Mode 916 Ambassador. I was arguing with somebody about the Bengals' inferior free agency pursuits year after year, and he pointed out that the Bengals actually spend a good amount of money relative to other teams. Is this true? And if so, does it negate the narrative that the Bengals are cheap? This is We've talked about this before. This is an easy question because they do usually spend a lot of money. What they don't normally do is is where we criticize them. And when I say, do they? How do? Well, Joe, how do they spend a lot of money, but yet you're still calling them cheap? Well, they spend money three million dollars on Trey Hopkins, who may not play. They they spend five million, five and a half million on John Miller, who is a marginal upgrade, if anything. Uh, and I'm not sure how many teams would have paid him five and a half million. They spend seven million this year on Bobby Hart, when I don't think anybody would have given him more than two and a half million dollars a year. So. They've always, and this is just this year, they have always do this. TJ Johnson, they gave him a, a restricted offer that no one would have even signed him had he gone in free agency. So they always find way to hide money on guys or keep Doma Tapak or Ray Maluga or give Preston Brown a raise when he all he showed was that he was injured. So they always find ways to hide cap space and money and, and get where they need to be. Uh, where they don't spend is on the big signing bonuses and the guaranteed money because that's really what separates the franchises that are just throwing money out there. And that's, you know, that's where the Bengals still fall behind. Yeah, so it's not necessarily that the Bengals are cheap, although you can certainly argue that they're cheap in terms of guaranteed money, which we've talked about involves putting that cash into escrow and that money is gone out of your pocket right away. Yep. Uh, the Bengals have not shown a willingness to do that for 99% of players in the last 16 years. Uh, they they do spend the money, though, like like you point out, but they spend it in the wrong places. So it's not necessarily that the Bengals are cheap, although in some cases they are, like I just said, with guaranteed money. It's, it's that they're just really inefficient and, yeah. and archaic. And the reason that they do it is because they don't spend the guaranteed money. So it's just this vicious circle. Right. Next question comes from Brandon Kuhn. Brandon, you have the best question of the week. You get to choose our intro music uh, for next week, which I don't think we'll have a mailbag question next week. It'll probably be two weeks from now, but Brandon will we'll remember that. Uh, he asks, if you are picking 11th and you have to choose between Dwayne Haskins and Lamar Jackson, who are you taking? I'm taking uh, Dwayne Haskins because I think Dwayne Haskins, especially with our coaching staff, uh, Zach Taylor and company is a much better fit. Lamar Jackson, I'm not saying that Zach Taylor couldn't design an offense around Lamar Jackson. I think he could. I think he, uh, he you know, he's coming from this run first kind of system, but he's a quarterback's guy. And I think he wants a quarterback that's going to throw the ball. And yeah. not to say Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball, but Dwayne Haskins is likely a more accurate and proficient and efficient thrower of the football than Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar Jackson is a more exciting player. He does offer more upside, especially if he figures out the accuracy issues that he has. Yep. That being said, accuracy is the one trait we've talked about and coaches have talked about is the one thing that's the hardest thing to teach a quarterback. So, and the one thing Haskins really excels at. Yeah, so for me, as Dwayne Haskins, I think he fits the system better. I think he has the unteachable quarterbacking traits. And yes, he's a one-year starter, 
and there are question marks around that. But if you can sit him for a year, uh, that that's my pick. Yeah, and I'm also going to take Dwayne Haskins, even though I liked Lamar Jackson last year. He was my number three quarterback behind Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen. It was a different perspective last year, picking 21. I wasn't deciding on franchise quarterbacks at the time because you are or you shouldn't expect one to be there at 21. Jackson was, and I would have been ecstatic with that pick. I feel so similar this year, where if they take Haskins, I'll be, I'll be, you know, awesome, great, let's start over. We've got new life and energy, but at the same time, I don't have a franchise label I would slap on him as a prospect and, yep. and be, you know, trying my hardest to make sure I, I acquire Haskins. So uh, I do take Haskins in this scenario. I love this question. Put it pitting two similar prospects, in my opinion, in terms of grade at yeah. each other. Yeah. Different strengths, obviously, but similar yep. in terms of overall valuation, I think. Uh, I think what, what if Teddy Bridgewater was in there too? You, you had Teddy Bridgewater's QB one that year. Is that correct? Yeah. He was the uh, number two prospect in that draft, so I would take Teddy. Yeah, Teddy. Uh, next question comes from Caleb at OSU Bengals. I wonder if this guy, you think he's an Ohio State fan? Can you talk Maybe. a little bit about how experience plays into a player's draft profile? Some, namely Haskins, get docked for only being a one-year starter, but others have received points for being inexperienced because there's untapped potential. What is the right balance? Yeah, and this may seem unfair at times when you look at and you'll you'll hear especially Haskins and Murray uh, get get put against each other or compared, and you always hear for Haskins one year starter. Some people have said you don't hear that for Murray. Well, we've kind of stopped evaluating Murray because he's going to be the first pick, at least it sounds like and looks like. And at that point, what do we we don't discuss them. They are obviously feel comfortable with his red flag of only being a one year starter and. So that's really what it comes down to. Your comfort level with every one of these prospects that aren't perfect prospects, their red flags or their slight against them in terms of their overall projection. And that's that's a big difference too. You Evaluation and then projection. Because in the evaluation portion of it, you may say, you know what? Haskins only played one year. And when I watch him, he does a lot of things well. He does a lot of things I don't like. But evaluation-wise, I think he can get better in a lot of these areas. Projection-wise, you have to bring in everything and all data and all information. And the information for one-year starting quarterbacks is not good. And it says that they are behind the ball already in, in their, their success rate in the NFL. So that's how you try and marry them and tie them together. And it may not affect another position. Maybe the best player in this draft, Quinnen Williams, is a one-year starter. But that there is no history to show that that's a negative impact on the future success of defensive tackles like it does for quarterbacks. So that's why you'll hear it for some guys and why you won't hear it for others. And it ultimately comes down to your comfort level with that risk you're taking. Right. I don't believe I've got anything to add <laughs> to okay. that. It's, you know, in some positions, there's, like you said, there's some positions where the data shows that one-year starter is a red flag. There have only been three successful one-year starters you can really point to from college at translating to the NFL at quarterback. But at other positions, yeah, you're, you're littered with one-year starters that, that can show. I do wonder, though, if, if quarterback one-year starters will start having more success it's going to happen the, more often so as, we'll as we it. go. The way the rules are going, the way the, the game is is turning into this more passer-friendly, passing-offense-friendly yeah. league. It seems like that's the way it's going. And the way the quarterbacks are being trained yeah. at such a young age now oh, wasn't always Lawrence the case. Could, 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 would, would probably be the first overall pick this year, right? Oh, yeah. After one year of freshman and he's 19 years old, yes, he would be. Yeah. 
and he's a freshman, 19 years old, but they start training at such a young age. They get their preparation is, I mean, I see kids now that are even in high school and, and younger going to these quarterback camps and doing things that I'm not sure they did 25, 30 years ago. And so I, I think they're ready at a younger age. I think they're more prepared at a younger age. And I think the way the college game is, and we see these guys leaving after junior years, someone brought up a great point with Haskins. He's already probably going to be a top 15 pick. Or you can go back to college, have a worse year, end up like Matt Barkley, and yeah. you end up as a mid-round pick. Or you got to compete against guys that we believe are, are better prospects in next year's draft with Jake Fromm, uh, Justin Hebert, and and uh, Tua. And so where's the payoff of going back for another year? It's really not there. So we're going to see these guys come out after one year, maybe two years of starting experience. And we're going to have to get comfortable with that and be better at evaluating. Yeah. And, and as there's more money in football, too. Yeah. The more money is there, the the more these preps, prep level camps are going to be popping up, the more these skills are going to develop. And, and I think we'll see – I'll be really interested to see, I should say, the trend for one-year starting quarterbacks translating to the NFL. Next question. Is it your turn? That is my it is. turn. It's from Blitz Hydronoid 9 He asks, best player available or quarterback at 11? Would you trade up for a best player available if it's not a quarterback? Okay. First first question, best player available or quarterback at 11? So where I'm at, in my opinion, of the quarterbacks in this draft class is if it's not Kyler Murray, I'm not convinced that that's a franchise quarterback. That's not to say that if the Bengals pick Dwayne Haskins and he's somehow there at 11, I'll be upset that they passed on a best player available. I'll be excited that there's a new quarterback, that we have somebody else to evaluate and there's there's potential for starting over going forward. However, just judging from the players in this draft class, judging from the quarterbacks in this draft class, the way it's likely to fall, I likely want the BPA because I think that you can get a blue chip player instead of a quarterback at 11. Now, if all the blue chip guys are gone, and we've talked about them, I think Ed Oliver's gone, but TJ Hawkinson might still be there. There might be an edge rusher that you really like still there. I might want one of those guys instead of a quarterback, but... If, hey, if all those guys are gone, I can see where a quarterback is the best player available. Would yeah. I trade up for a best player available if it's not a QB? Would I? Yes. Would the Bengals? No. And it would have to be the distinction of do you have a blue chip guy? And when yeah. we say blue chip, it's usually like a top four or five guy depending on the draft. And this year I believe that is outside of quarterback. It's Quinn and Williams. It's Ed Oliver. And it's Josh Allen. Yeah. Uh, and those are your blue chip. And if one Hawkinson? of them starts to get there. No, I wouldn't say that. No? I think maybe maybe for a tight end, but that the positional value I'm also okay. thinking of here. You know, so maybe for a tight end, Hawkinson is as good of a prospect as you can expect. Uh, but if one of those guys, those top three guys, end up at eight, nine, and you're like, man, you know, what's it worth to flip a pick and and end up selecting a a guy you're going to build your defense around? And in my opinion, that's worth trading up for. Yeah. Next question comes from Z at N. Zanace, how can the Bengals pass on Haskins if he's there at 11? With key injuries at major positions last year and still outside the top 10 of the draft, it seems there's only a very small chance they get a premium pick next year to select a quarterback. They likely won't trade up either. And I think this might be our last question on Haskins and quarterbacks, but I'm glad that it's in a series here. You know what, Z, is your logic here is perfectly sound, in my opinion. I think uh, 
you have to look at the opportunity. You have to say to yourself, how often are we going to draft this high to select a quarterback? And you hope, you expect that you're building a team that you're not going to draft in the top half every year. And that opportunity to get a quarterback outweighs an opportunity to get a better right tackle or a better linebacker even. So in my opinion, I agree with your logic completely. Uh, It just comes down to who else is on the board and how comfortable do you feel with that quarterback? We talk about Haskins a lot, but does the team feel he is? And we say Haskins, it could be Drew Locker, Daniel Jones. I know as scary as that sounds. And if it was, then we, our conversation switches, right? If it's Jones or Locke, we go, Oh no, no, no way. You take, you take Brian Burns, you take TJ Hawkinson. And you know, so it, it really depends on the quarterback. And they like Ryan Finley too, so maybe it'll be a guy in a later round and they're not even on a quarterback in the first round because as many have pointed out, the Bengals haven't talked to Dwayne Haskins apparently since the combine. Next question, Joe. Who, what, what, what do we got? You got the next question, right? No, no I, I, I read do. It. I'm Come sorry. On. That's, sorry for the delay then. This is from Tyler Stephen Reed on Twitter. So traveling from Nova Scotia, Canada, which game should I go to? Arizona or Baltimore? Arizona. Easy. They're both. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about both Cincinnati games. Don't go to a game in Baltimore, obviously. Go to a game in Cincinnati. Arizona's at home. You can either watch Kyler Murray play or watch the Bengals punch Josh Rosen in the face. Yeah, either one. I think I'd pick Arizona because that's the one they are more likely to win. Yeah. So go to a game where they win because that's much more fun. Next question comes from Bill J at Notorious BLJ. That's a fun name. What is your opinion on the top four needs in order for this team in the draft mine are linebacker offensive tackle tight end and interior pass rusher thereafter quarterback running back and nickel cornerback depth i think this is sound logic bill again uh, i also think the top need is linebacker because they have a, in my opinion a current starting hole at that spot i would say next although Kerry Wynn was probably signed and going to play some of that. Hubbard's probably going to play some, maybe even Willis. That interior nickel guy, the fourth defensive lineman right now, is not filled adequately, I would say, or with any experience or or proven production. So I would say next is interior defensive line pass rusher. Uh, Number three for me is offensive tackle, not not only because – you have a bad player in Bobby Hart starting, but the the health hi- history of Cordy Glenn means that third guy is going to play at some point this year. I'd like it to be a draft pick that I believe can provide something or at least get some development time. Uh, and then for number four for me, I would say quarterback. And because the backup position should be upgraded from Jeff Driscoll, so that means maybe a second or third round pick, maybe fourth round pick at the latest. And potential for a future starter could happen in the first round. So for me, the fourth need is quarterback. What about an inline tight end? Sure. I think that you should probably target an inline tight end. We have when we've done our mocks. You could put that in there over quarterback because that guy could potentially play much more than the quarterback. But he would be the third tight end at most. And that third tight end, even if you looked at it last year when everyone was healthy the first handful of games, Tyler Croft was getting like seven snaps per game. Yeah, the third tight end also became the first tight end very the quickly. fourth game of the year. Right, and so if that scenario happens again, although C.J. Ozama's proven to be uh, fairly durable, so yes, he could end up being the second tight end very quickly. Tight ends get banged up. They do. Are you ready to go on to the next one? Yeah, let's go. Okay, it's from Dusty Balls 08, and Dusty Balls says, on a scale of one to kill it with fire, 
How oh, bad was God. the Bengals' schedule release video? It was, Some other teams were so much better, right? It was not good. I, yeah. I, I couldn't get through it. I think I saw the first three teams. I was like, oh, hey, cool. That, that weight room looks nice and renovated. And then I was like, all right, that's enough. Goodbye. Because Atlanta's and, was so good. I mean, yeah. I'm a Game of Thrones guy. So the Atlanta one with the, with the ram hitting the guy and the, yeah. <laughs> the ref coming over and the, and and the, the flag falling off. Eight. Yes, yeah, exactly. The, the, and the, then the Panthers. You watched that one? No, with all I haven't the, seen it yet. You didn't see the Panthers one. It is, it is better than the Falcons. What was is going the, on with like, the NFC South? Was that the, the video game? Yeah, the, like the 32-bit. Yeah, and it wasn't all 32-bit. It kept going on like oh, the whole just okay. Yeah, it was like the history of video games, and it was really, really good. And honestly, we need to – I don't know who's doing the Bengals account, but, man, it's got to – we got to have a little bit better than that if we want to compete with hey, these man. other teams. It's old school, just like the rest of the organization. It is so fitting. A Razor scooter, though, like those were big when I was a kid. When I was like 12, <laughs> I was like, yeah, let me get a Razor scooter for Christmas, Mom. Well, That's not right. Christmas, obviously, Hanukkah for me. but I didn't even uh, think about the Razor scooter. You're right. <laughs> man. But you know what else? There were some other bad ones out there. There was. I I, I, uh, I tried to watch the Colts today. It's just Andrew Luck reading the schedule and saying interesting facts about the cities. Like That's pretty brutal, too. Did you see the Cowboys? It was very weird. Go check out the Cowboys video because it's Amari Cooper, and he's whispering into the microphone. He's like, week one, Philadelphia Eagles. And then he crunches something with his hands or makes a weird noise, uses something that makes weird noises into the mic, like, and then goes on to the next team. Yeah, that's one called is, ASMR. Oh, you are very familiar with this. There, okay, it's then. a thing. It's a thing. It's a I'm thing. sure it is. I'll take your word for it. You're I don't. Gonna... I don't know much hey, about it. Whatever you're into, that, man. It's, it's cool. I'm not into it, man. I just know hey, it's a thing. I'm not judging. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> you can know about stuff and not be into the stuff. Okay, I believe you. What What's the thing you know about that you're not into? Uh, nothing. Everything I'm into, I know about. Weird. Just like you. I I like to have a plethora of knowledge in my brain. <laughs> Where are we here? What's our next question? Here it is. Apathetic Reds fan. I know with Marvin, the Bengals very rarely drafted a quarterback in any round. Do you think there's a decent chance they draft home period, whether it's Murray in a trade-up, unlikely, Haskins at 11, or one of the lottery tickets with one of the 36-round picks they own? I think it's most likely it is a mid-round backup type quarterback. Um, that's how they've operated in the past when they believe they have a starter. And there's no reason to think right now they don't believe they have a starter in Andy Dalton. So if he's their guy and at least for 2019, I think they, they handle things one year at a time. So, um, well, I still think it could happen at 11. I don't think it's off the table, but I think most likely is that it's Finley Greer, Brett Ripien, something like that in the second, third, fourth round range. Yep. I think they will draft a quarterback, though, to answer that question. I think they almost drafted Mason likely. Rudolph last year. And I would have been happy if they had drafted Mason Rudolph. And that was third round. They ended up taking Malik Jefferson with that pick after the Steelers uh, drafted Rudolph just before them. They traded up for that, right? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, let's get to our next question here, Joe. It is Nick Jenkins. He asks, can we kind of touched about this, so I, I'm glad Nick brought this up. Should interior pass rusher be equal with edge rusher in terms of positional value or to put it differently would you rather have aaron donald or the best edge player in the league was that von miller would you say uh khalil mack maybe sure One of those two right Probably. so would you rather have those or aaron donald 
I don't know. I so so the thing is about this question is that Aaron Donald's just the best player in the best defensive player in the league right now, period. So obviously yeah. I'd rather have Aaron Donald. If you were to take that down to a say Fletcher Cox, Geno Atkins, Gerald McCoy, or Von Miller or or Khalil Mack, then I want the Marcus edge guy. Lawrence. Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah, then I want the edge guy, for sure. The the reason that this is 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 challenging is because Aaron Donald is is so much better than the rest. But then again, so are those three guys and a lot of the other edge rushers. Yes, that should be think equal. It's harder to find the edge rusher right now. Do you? I do. I think this is the greatest defensive tackle era in history of football. I'm not going to disagree with that, especially if you count like JJ Watt as an interior defensive lineman on a, right. a three four defense. Right. I mean, but there's I been just, so many good ones, and so many. And pass but, uh, rushing has never been better. Edge is really good right now, too. I agree, but there's always been great edge rushers yeah. throughout the history of NFL. Yeah, I, I think. think, I think for, isn't the idea of an interior pass rusher like relatively new? Yeah, yeah. A lot. There used to be no stackles out there on passing downs, and it was looking back extremely silly. And now you just have you can have four guys. And the rotation on the defensive line wasn't always the way it was. Now you know you can have four pass rushers that come in. On, in your nickel, basically, you build your pass rushers first, and then yeah. you add run defender role players. Yeah, I think as the game has shifted toward passing, the interior rusher has become more important because, as many have pointed out, it's the shortest path to a quarterback. If you beat your guy quickly, the way we've seen Geno do, the way you see Aaron Donald do, that's going to disrupt a, an offense much faster than an edge player ever could. You also would rather... When you disrupt from the middle, you can disrupt middle, left, right. When you disrupt just from the right, the quarterback yeah. can roll, you yeah. know, and move and get away from it. So there, are, it's harder to scheme against a interior guy, yeah. even though you usually have an, another blocker in there. There are ways around that, as we yeah. see all the time. So yes, I think it's equal. Next yeah. question, Tyler Lindsay, oh eight. Have you ever been to an NFL draft in person? If not, would you ever want to? I went to the one in Dallas last year, and it was one of the coolest experiences in my life. I would want to. Uh, I, you know, I have so much fun covering it and talking about it and following it with so many people that I wonder if I would have the same amount of fun being there. It sounds like a good time. It sounds like a really good event. And I, so yeah, I'd want to, but I never have. I'm I'm really curious. I would like to hear from you, Tyler. If you can tell us what it was like being there, what the flow of information was like. Was it just a party, or was it you know was it? Did you have the opportunity to learn things firsthand that others of us that we're we're all learning yeah. on Twitter? Like, what made it one of the coolest experiences of your life? Was it was it just the pageantry or was it something else? Because for me, I don't I don't really care about the pageantry. It would be cool to see. Like, I, I would like to go to an NFL draft at some point in my life. But uh, for for me, the most interesting thing about it is the information and thinking about yeah. the players and the fits and all that stuff. And if I'm in a live environment that's a party, I can't think about that stuff. Part of the reason the draft has gotten so huge is, is the broadcast and information and the presentation of it on TV, I think, is excellent. And then the information flow on the Internet during the time and the yeah. discussion. It Honestly, Twitter, it, one, the, one of the best days of Twitter are the NFL draft and how much information is being shared and spread and talked about and freely thrown around and discussion and shock and awe and celebrating with everyone. It's I don't I wouldn't want to miss that being there so can you still ha get all that information and experience it firsthand if you can that sounds 
great. Yeah, I'm much. I'm going to enjoy the Steelers picking Terrell Edmonds much more on Twitter than I am at exactly. the draft site. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question from Cincy PHX Couch Mitchell. Am I, I think I'm right on that. Uh, would a team jumping into the top 10 to grab a quarterback help a slide of Devin White or Ed Oliver to 11? Possibly Miami, Washington, with trading with Tampa or Detroit. What trade scenarios do you see happening? I don't see Miami trading up this year. Me either. Uh, Washington might, I guess, but like I don't know who's trading up for a quarterback. Denver, but they're already in the top ten. I think would be one. Who Teams will is... jockey. Yeah, but it, for it happens. So for quarterback though. Yeah, it happens. I every guess year. okay. So like the teams that want quarterbacks are, are Denver and New York. Right. And, and they're already picking above the Bengals. And if the Bengals had a different history of being more proactive, we would say the Bengals. There are people in the league that think the Bengals could do this. So you should put the Bengals in there. You should put the the Redskins in this category. And you do this because uh, – and maybe the Jags. And we shouldn't completely throw okay. them off the yeah. table either. You know, So these teams start to get paranoid and want to get ahead of each other. Who was it just a couple – the Bears traded up one spot. Yeah, that was crazy. Remember that? Because they thought somebody else may have come up or, or want to come up. And, and, and they were like, no, we want to go get our quarterback. We're going to move one spot. So it teams get weird. They want to make sure they get their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that being said, would it help the slide of White or Oliver to 11? I of think course. more likely it's going to help Oliver slide than White. I think White at this point is Tampa or Oakland. Unless, yeah. those, guys, unless, unless those are the teams that trade out of the top 10, right? We should be more concerned with making sure Devin Bush gets there at 11. I think there is more than a few scenarios where he's not there. And in that case, it gets really weird for the Bengals. Yeah, th- then you're drafting an edge guy and it's like, oh, this isn't my first choice anymore. Right. You're taking a tight end that mm, he'll play. But, you know, where yeah. are we? What are we really talking about? We're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back with the second half of the mailbag. You guys threw about 70,000 questions at us today. So we picked, I don't know, 30 something. We'll be back to finish those up. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is your weekend mailbag. We got a lot of questions. We're going to kick it right back off. Go to uh, St. Louis Kiss. I think it's St. Louis. STL Kiss. It's from Lonnie. He asks us, what is our favorite 1980s sitcom? I was born in 1988. Joe named a bunch of these when we were doing our pre-record review of the questions, and I was like, I didn't watch any of those. My, my, the first sitcom I remember, maybe Full House, that's technically an 80s sitcom. I watched some of that when I was a kid. But the first show that I really remember watching that was you could call a sitcom, I think, is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Was that and recorded that, in the 80s? That, the, that premiered in 1990. Oh, so did they record one episode in the 80s, 89, in the, December of 89? If they did, then that's my answer because it, that is it, one of my favorites. It first aired so, September 1990, so maybe they filmed one episode in the in the right. 80, in 89, <laughs> but I doubt it. You're skirting the rules here real bad. Yeah. Uh, but I mentioned Cheers. Um, 
Night Court, uh, the Cosby Show. Can we still say that? Is this, is this still socially acceptable to like the Cosby Show? Because that was really good. And then uh, I also said Roseanne, and because I watched a lot of Roseanne as a kid, and that started in 88. So late 80s for me, mostly. I don't think Night Court was late 80s, but uh, that's something we definitely watch in the middle of the night on random TV channels. But uh, well, we still watch that, and that's funny. Was Wonder Years the 70s? I remember watching that at Nick at, on Nick at Night. It had to have gone into the 80s also, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's talk about some football some more. I, I didn't watch an 80s sitcom. I'm sorry, Lonnie. That That's a little too early for me. I was an 88 kid. Uh, Jake Money, the Jake Money. Money. Jake Money asks, can you talk about your thoughts on Bosa? Curious on how you think he'll turn out. I haven't watched Joey Bosa because he will certainly Nick Bosa. not be there. That's Nick great. Bosa. I'm glad you ever watched Joey because the yeah. question's about uh, Nick. I, well, <laughs> well could have fooled me. But on Nick Bosa, uh, everyone's got him as a top five, or maybe some even have him as the best prospect in the draft. I'm not sure that is the case. I do like Nick. I think uh, had he have finished out the entire year, we'd probably feel mo- much more comfortable with him. He comes in as our number as our number four edge rusher in this draft. He is actually out of the top ten when we put our whole entire board together. And that's mostly because of his production score. And it's because he missed so much time in this past year. And you really, really only have his junior year high end production, which is just below average. And I, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be good. He's not as big as his brother, Joey, but there is some risk involved with taking him top five. When I, I think Josh Allen is the edge rusher. If the 49ers want an edge rusher, it should be Josh Allen, not, Joe, not Nick Bosa. Fair enough. Next question is from Josh King. Two questions he has, though. Ed Oliver is very high in all of your boards, but how high do you really think the Bengals have him? Key question, right? And and all these guys we talk about. And number two, if we were to draft a premium offensive tackle, do you think the Bengals would actually let that rookie take snaps away from Hart or Glenn? So the first question, I think that Ed Oliver is pretty high in the Bengals' board to the point that they don't think he'll be there when they pick at 11 because – uh, and I think they feel that way about a couple of the top end guys. I mean, they still met with Josh Allen, but I think Ed Oliver they would have met with if they thought he would be there. They they also didn't meet with Christian Wilkins, which maybe means they're just not looking at defensive tackle at that point, or they don't, you know, maybe they know enough about Christian Wilkins from their contacts at Clemson or talking to Albert Huggins or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think Ed Oliver's high on their board. For the second question, will the will the premium offensive tackle take snaps away from Hart or Glenn? Paul Daner thinks that a rookie offensive tackle could take snaps away from Bobby Hart. I think that that is fairly unlikely, at least early in the season. And I think that the way that the rookie takes snaps away from Glenn is if an injury happens, which has happened. Right. And is that the same as taking snaps away? I guess you come in, you play really well, and they figure things out after that, right? You would have to prove it first. Uh, I think... Sure, it could happen, but you have to go in there and, and you'd have to beat out a guy that's going to make much more money than you at either spot. And I think uh, based on the Bengals' history, that's not going to happen. That rookie would have to be really good, which is, I guess, what you want. That's a win-win situation, right? The rookie's really good and he's beating out Bobby Hart. Great. That sounds awesome. Uh, but I would say we shouldn't expect it. It's about – I looked at the average production for rookie offensive tackles that are taken with premium picks, and they pretty much come out to being about where Bobby Hart is to a little bit better if they're if they're good hitting the ground as a rookie. So 
it's unlikely that that happens. Uh, the thing about Ed Oliver also, though, is if would the Bengals be high in him? And if you go and look at the defensive tackles they've drafted, uh, and it's funny because Jeff Hobson brought up arm length when I asked him on, on his Hobson's choice, and the average arm length they've drafted at defensive tackle is 33.3-inch arms, which is actually really long for defensive tackle. So I, it's it's a thing they've looked for, Geno Atkins being the shortest and really the only guy under 33 at 32-inch arms, and Oliver's even a hair shorter than Atkins. So I wonder if they would look at it and say, uh, yeah, not a great fit. They they The average for defensive tackles, I'll just go over it real quick, uh, six foot two and a third, 305 pounds with 33 inch arms. They like them fast. They like their defensive tackles to run fast. 5.04, uh, which, and they drafted guys definitely in the four nines before, uh, 28 bench reps is the average cone 7.57, which is fairly average. They've drafted guys all around on that one. Uh, 30.3 vertical broad of a one Oh nine and the shuttle of a 4.53 relative athletic score on average is a 7.21. Guys that come up close to that, Tristan Hill, Christian Wilkins. Wilkins, of course, with a relative athletic score of 8.5, has the 32.5-inch arms, though, so a little bit short of that 33-inch. Most of these guys do when you go look at it. There's only a few that actually have over that. Yeah, Jerry Tillery, Dexter Lawrence, Zach Allen, Tristan Hill, like you mentioned, Draymond Jones as well, another another Ohio State guy. Draymond's too light, though, if they go with their current, you know, so... Tristan Hill's the one I'm going to use, though. Tristan Hill. All right. Next question comes from Tyler Lindsay. For late-round consideration, would you rather have a big outside receiver like a Jazz Ferguson or a slot receiver like Penny Hart? I'm just going to answer this based on history. I feel like late-round slot guys have had much more success, and it's because you can be an average athlete, you can have um, less than average size, and you can be very successful in the slot. So I would rather go with the Penny Hart in this scenario. Yeah, me too. And that's also because the Bengals already have Cody Cord, Josh Malone, et cetera, on the, uh, on the roster. Uh, Auden Tate, Tate, don't Tate forget. as well. Yeah, I was trying to think of the first name. Auden None Tate. of those guys are good. No, but, you know, Josh Malone was going to be A.J. Green last, last training camp. So. Marvin Jones last training camp. Marvin Jones, whatever. There's still hope. Let's hope, right? Uh, next question from Jonah Wheeler. Interested to see both of your top 10 favorite Bengals of all time. That's a little bit too much. I think 10. Do you have a, a few, Jake? Chad, TJ, Rudy, Witt, Willie Anderson, Carson, AJ Anyone Green. Before that, Tyler before Rayford. that era, any old guys? Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to the Bengals a ton before Carson, Carson Palmer, to be honest. But Anthony Munoz, Tim Crumry, uh, Carl Pickens was a really good receiver. Peter Warwick. I mean, I don't know. I, I started paying attention when Carson Palmer was drafted and, and Marvin Lewis became the coach. I that, that's, yeah. that's my time. My recent ones are usually lined up with the guys I loved pre-draft and like really wanted the Bengals to draft, and then they do draft them and have success. So like Giovanni Bernard might be my favorite player on the roster now. Uh, he was a guy that I loved pre-draft, and, and every time they had connection with him, I was like, oh, yes, please take this guy. Find a way to get this guy. Marvin Jones was one, even though he didn't last very long. Obviously, just his four years, and then that was it. And a bunch more guys that, you know, been on the team for – the current era, the previous era. I mean, Carson Palmer and Chad and TJ, all the same guys you're going to list. Uh, you know, Odell Thurman for that one year. Oh, I thought yeah. he was going to be that guy. You know, so for the, for that one year, it's you know fantastic. I like to 
do some custom figures and stuff and the McFarlane figures. I, I made an Odell Thurman right after that rookie year and I still have it, but, uh, things like that. And old guys, I, my favorite player growing up was Corey Dillon because he was so good on a horrendous team. And so I don't have much different guys than you do, but, uh, I, I'm sure you've got like a soft spot for Chris Collinsworth, just like everyone in Cincinnati does. Do I? I mean, I like Chris <laughs> Collinsworth for for that he's gotten into analytics and he's popularized PFF. He gave them the financial shot in the arm they needed to really take off. That's why I like Chris Collinsworth. You ever see the comments people like leave like in terms of him in Cincinnati? Either I don't know why people don't like him. I like Chris Collinsworth. He said some pretty pervy stuff. <laughs> oh really? Like about young girls, but I, I guess. Oh, I didn't know it was, that. It was a different time. I guess so. All right, next question: Is it me or you? It's you. Yeah, statistically, about half of the first round is going to bust. Who are five to ten of the top ten to twenty you think have the highest bust potential? This is from Joel Chandler. You Joel Chandler. That, sorry, sorry, sorry. Thanks, Joel, Joel knows bungs. You have he two good questions bungs. here this week. And Joel's been a long time. Uh, friend of Twitter and Bengals football. Anyways, so, yeah, I'm not going to answer this one yet because I think a lot of it has to deal with the fit and which team they get paired with. Sometimes you just have a bad feeling about it. You can tell on draft day. And, yeah, you're right, half of them are going to be bust. I like doing that every year. I I, I put up on Twitter, uh, give me your, you know, at least 10 busts, and I try to make it a little bit easier to do one-third. Give me 10 busts, and it's interesting to see the names that continuously pop up. I remember, like, Justin Gilbert, the year the Browns took him number eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Same year we took Dark West Denard. But uh, that was the one that, like, unanimously came up. EJ Manuel came up with everyone, and it's like, well, yeah, sometimes you can just tell right after draft day. Yeah. And I think this year the common answers would be like a Drew Locke, a Daniel Jones, a Rashawn Gary, because those narratives about those guys already exist. And then overdrafting, you know, when you take a, a Terrell Edmonds where yeah. the Steelers do, he's going to get he's going to come up a lot. But Dupree was someone that like a lot of people did not like, and when the Steelers took him, it was like, yep, that's one. He's oh, not but don't you out. remember how Cincinnati fans were so pissed off that the Steelers drafted Bud Dupree because of all the UK fans? You know what I hate about that? The homerism is a whole another com- conversation. I I am so glad that there's a lot of college fans that also like the Bengals, right, and like football in general. But they'll they'll stand for this guy, and they'll say, man, Isaiah Peed, the Bengals should draft Isaiah Peed. But they'll never tell you about Travis uh, Kelsey or, or Jason Kelsey. They'll never tell you about Trent Cole. I mean, like, you, you, you'll tell me about Bud Dupree to, to my ears bleed, but you never tell me about Zadaris Smith. And – there's always somebody else that's really good on that team that you never hear about, but it's always the one guy that you're like, man, can we stop talking about this guy at this point? Uh, and I think sometimes they get pushback because of it. Find me that guy that's going to make the team. If you're a real big fan of the Clemson Tigers, don't tell me about Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. Come tell me about this third corner that you're like, you know what? This guy's played good every single time. I think you should take a chance on him as an undrafted guy. That's about, what I'm interested in. How about Cortez Brown? Does he count or is he, is he a starter? You know, there's no one on Cincinnati right now that's even – no, I, tell me about him. Tell me more about Cortez Broughton on, yeah. on Cincinnati because there's not many guys. You know, But when there's one guy that is polarizing and everyone talks about – it shouldn't have been Isaiah Pete. It should have been Derek Wolf. you're telling me about. Yeah. That was the same draft. Yep. All right, next question. It's from Joel Chandler. He's got another one. Joel, you got a bunch of good questions this week. Uh, he asks, why is no one talking about Jeffrey Simmons at 11? Are the Bengals winning a Super Bowl in 2019? Which is, he's kind of answering his question here. Uh, I don't care that he's not playing this year, and I don't need testing to know that he's awesome, similar to Oliver in that way. Are there 11 better prospects in this draft? 
Let's take a look at our list, shall we? Uh, so here's why I'm not considering him at 11 is because there's a pretty good chance he gets to 42, I think, or at least the top of the second round, just because right. he's got the ACL and does, doesn't he have some like high school character stuff too? Yeah, pushed a girl down, I believe, that was fighting his sister, and I think he got a little rougher than that. He like hit her while she was on the ground. It wasn't just like a, a splitting up the fight. I think. No, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I get defending family to an extent, but you know, uh, so. Looking looking at our list right now, and I think these rankings might still change, right? These aren't final at this point. Right now, he's down at 25. Yes, he's 25th overall, but the thing is we have a placeholder for his, his relative athletic score. We've got a 50 in there. I think he would test as in probably like an 8.5, if not a 90 guy. But this guy. is reflective of the risk of an ACL. Exactly, injury, right. So in, And so that's why I, I preface that by saying, because Joel says he doesn't care that he's hurt, and he knows he'd be a great athlete. So I would agree. If he did have that grade in there, he would end up as a top 12 or 13, I think, prospect in this draft. And, yeah, I I know what you're saying, Joel. I think it's it's very reasonable to want a guy like Simmons. I, I just think guys that get hurt will see their draft stock affected and having him 25th right now i think reflects that he could still go late first and probably go in the top 15 picks of the second round if we just adjusted his relative athletics athletic score up to an 80 an 8 which is still you know well above average he'd be in our top 10 yeah, yeah. makes sense he would be yeah our next question comes from kevin keith at keith jr how much influence does scheme compatibility have on best player available approaches for both offense and defense it has a big influence. When you're building your board, you are trying to find scheme fits. A guy that fits better schematically is going to grade out higher and be more attractive as a as a prospect. So, the guys that you don't feel are great fits, you're going to feel you're gonna it's gonna affect their grade. I, you you can't just grade them in a vacuum because you do eventually have to place them into a slot on your roster. And when you do that, especially high in the draft, I think you have to look for scheme fits. And unless it's a transcendent player that you think. I will fit my scheme to him, which good coaches do. So mm-hmm. there is that balance, and it's going to. There's a lot of thing, factors that are going to go into building your board from scheme fit to need. So yeah, it has an effect. And, and we talked about this even with quarterbacks when somebody asked us earlier, Dwayne Haskins versus Lamar Jackson, and and a lot of that comparison. While there is a difference in prospect, they're very similar prospects. But when you talk about which one's a better fit for Zach Taylor's system, that's what gets me to Dwayne Haskins pretty definitively over Lamar Jackson's that's just one example on the defensive side of the ball I think it matters too I think it matters a little bit less uh, especially than quarterback in in that I think if there's a really good defensive player it's easier to marry your system to that player but I, I think it still matters like especially when you talk about corners some guys are you know gonna be easy to exploit and press man and if you run a lot of press man well then that's not a good fit and I think one last point is that, man, I saw you a weird animal on the tree out there. Sorry, it distracted me. Maybe it's a chipmunk or something. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the point is that I think it used to be a bigger deal, I think, in terms of scheme, the way we think of it in, yeah. in fits. Uh, it's getting so hybrid on defense right now that almost everyone fits. And like 10 years ago, we would say, oh, no, Josh Allen doesn't fit. Now we're like, yeah, he fits. You, you make it fit because everyone in the league is doing what you would do with a Josh Allen. So. Yeah. Uh, you would figure it out on defense. Things are getting a little more homogenized. Fluid. Yep. Is it my turn? It is. Sean Whitehead asks, you're given three different options for the first three rounds that hit all of the holes on the team. 
The first option is Devin Bush, Jay Sternberger, and Titus Howard. The second option is Andre Dillard, Mac Wilson, and Josh Oliver. And the third option is TJ Hawkinson, Cody Ford, and Ben Burke-Hervin. I'll be honest, there's only one option here I really like, and that's Hawkinson, Ford, Burke-Hervin. You're giving me a good value in Ford in round two. Uh, I like Burke-Hervin in round three, obviously. I, I mean, grades really high for us. It's so, so high that I think it's weird that he's not for everyone else. Uh, and I like Hawkinson. I love Hawkinson. So, yeah, I'll take that third option. Yep. I think... Also, to add, though, I don't like Mac Wilson, and I don't love Sternberger. Sternberger in the second is what kills that one for me, and Mac Wilson is in the second is what kills that one for me. Also, Josh Oliver in the third? Is that a yes, little Yes, Josh early? Oliver is good. No, give me Josh okay. Oliver. All right, all right, all right. What's our next question, Joe? Oh, yep. Michael J. Fox. Great. Uh, nice to hear from you, man. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if Andy plays <laughs> really well this year and wants to re-sign for four years at $23 million per, do you do it? How good are we talking? You win in, right. win in a playoff game? If you win a playoff game, sure. If you win a playoff game with that offensive line, hell yeah, I'll give you that money. That's the hard part of, of this all. Do I, do I believe that they can win something with him? And I think that part of that is how Zach Taylor changes his team and gets more out of Dalton. And if that's the case... Yeah, I think it's hard to win with a $23 million quarterback. Do they nail this draft also? And now I feel the roster is like a top five roster and they have Dalton. Yeah, I can see that. I, I could definitely jump on board with that. If Andy Dalton goes 10-6 and six and wins a playoff game with this offensive line, that means he got better. That's true. That is true. And do I feel like he got better? And that's the thing, too. We, people keep saying if you – because we've even said, if he produces like he did in 2015, it, you have to also play like you did in 2015, not just produce. Jared Goff is producing like 2015 Andy Dalton. I don't think Jared Goff is as good as Andy Dalton played in 2015. Uh, so, you know, it's you want the guy to play well, not just produce well. And I yeah. think a Rams offense could get you to produce well. I need him to also play well. That's well. what the question is, though, if Andy plays really well. Well, then, then, yes. If Andy plays really well, yes. And I, <laughs> yeah. and, right. Well, that's four what we four want. years, 23 million per. That's a cheap contract for a quarterback that plays really well. That's why that's part of the, my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Next question comes from Patrick at GBEC OSU. At 11, the Bengals need a player that checks all three boxes. Bush checks elite RAS, but his production and tape do not warrant a top 20 pick. Cashman, Pratt, and Bember Kervin all posted elite RAS and have better tape and production. Why reach at linebacker when they can take one in the second or third round? We must not draft Bush. I think this is a little bit harsh on Devin Bush. Joe, what's your take? I think the OSU and the end of Gbeck's name here is uh, blinding him a little bit. And that's because <laughs> I think. I think Bush's worst game may have come against Ohio State also. So if that's sticking in your mind, Bush, to say his tape doesn't warrant it, I think is, is silly. I think his tape, his tape warrants it completely. I think his production is just a hair under what you would want at a top 20 pick. And he passes the threshold. So it's not that he doesn't have the production. He does. So this is, I would say, completely inaccurate on, on many levels. Uh, in terms of tape, he's better than Cashman, Pratt, and Ben Burke-Irvin on tape. Uh yeah, all those guys also tested as elite athletes. Pratt didn't do the agility stuff. Exactly. So there is, yeah, it's it's big for him. We've even knocked him in our score because of it, and he still comes out really good. We like Pratt, so don't get us wrong on that. Uh, but in terms of, you know, all the everything else, there is a reason that Cashman and Ben Irvin are probably third, fourth round picks, even though I like both of them. You tell me I can get, that's the debate. The question shouldn't be, 
stay away from Bush and take these other guys. You don't have to knock down Bush to like these other prospects. We do. The question should be is what's better value? What do you feel more comfortable spending at linebacker? The number 11 overall pick for Bush or spending third round pick on Cashman or Burke Irvin? And I think then that becomes a debate because I don't think the gap is enormous, but that's because we like that second tier. That becomes easily for me at that point, third round linebacker. For what it's worth, like I don't agree necessarily that his production and tape don't warrant a top 20 pick. I think that they certainly could. And I like that you say top 20 because that includes the Steelers, which are his most likely landing spot after the Bengals at 20. Right. Uh, you, you include Pratt and in having an elite RAS. I think that him not completing the agility drills is a huge flag for me because if he can do it well, he would do it. There's no yeah. reason to not do those drills, especially a linebacker where they're pretty important. But you look at a lot of guys and a lot of guys have pretty partial yeah. athletic profiles this year they know what they're doing yeah i i think they do you, you gotta they, they know what teams are looking at and i think they also know the teams are going to be like well if you can't do it you're probably in the 30th percentile at best right so right. you can also see that i think on tape a little bit with pratt but cashman and, and Bember curvin are both guys we've talked about a lot in the podcast that i like in the third fourth fifth round in some cases for Bember curvin depending on who you listen to i i do like the value of linebacker deep later in this draft yeah, that that's the question. And next question is now from Michael Newman at Newman. Hello, Newman, ATC. Uh, he asks, I believe positional value should affect draft philosophy. Great, because we were just talking about that, Michael. Glad you chimed in. Uh, running back, safety, linebacker, and center don't have enough value to be worth a top 20 pick. This There's is your burner account. Again. Yeah, Patrick and Michael are, are friends over here. Uh, what do you think are the – are the four or five least valuable positions in the NFL? And are they, are there any positions you would not use the 11th pick on regardless of talent? I wouldn't say that there's a position that I wouldn't use a pick on regardless of talent, but the closest one to Kicker that for me. Yeah. Okay. Kicker, punter, fullback. The closest one to that for me of the reasonable options is running back. I I don't like taking running backs in the first round at this point in the NFL. The next closest is probably linebacker. I don't think safety necessarily belongs on that list because there are game-changing safeties in that. You have to be special. You have to be special. You have to be special to go that high. And we see non-special tackles go that high. We see non-special running backs, I hate to say, go that high too, I feel like at times. Uh, We see non-special defensive tackles, defensive ends that – just because they have the height, weight, speed, they get, they go that high. Yeah, Center never goes that high, though. Center no. never goes. Guard almost never goes that high. And no. Is, when, well, who's the last guard? Quentin Nelson last year. Yeah, but right. before that, right, it's normally in the teens to the, to the 20s. When was Zach Martin picked? 17th or 15th in okay, that range. So Him and CJ Mosley. Yeah. Top 20, though. And linebacker, even though off the ball linebackers, we're not talking about Von Miller. We're, no. That's not a linebacker. We're talking about your Roquan Smith, Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley are normally eight to ten, the highest they possibly go normally. And yeah. if we see Devin White go four or five, that's saying something, I think. And that might be overdrafting him, right? He's. Yeah. I think we all are in agreement at this point that he's not as good of a prospect. He's not as polished as Roquan Smith. He's not. And Roquan like, Smith. He's a really good prospect, having said that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying he's not Roquan Smith, and Roquan Smith went after 4-5. Yeah, that's true. And I think this is a better defensive class. I'm surprised White is going to go that high or is projected. Anyway, the four or five least valuable positions in the NFL, excluding specialists and fullbacks, I think running back, off-ball linebacker, 
probably guard. And Probably. then I'm not really sure after that. Center, tight end. Center, tight end, yeah. We answered that. Deep ice is next. Deep ice is next. When reviewing previous drafts under the Lewis administration, it seems like there were competing drafting philosophies at work in the Bengals' war room. Do you have evidence other than anecdotal that this is the case or isn't the case? Just hoping that management and coaching is on the same page this time. And I think we've heard that. Uh, yeah. that they're on the same page. They talked a lot about having unified vision between Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor in the press yeah. conferences we've heard so far. And other than hearing the rumors that, oh, they didn't want this guy or the coaching staff didn't want this guy, whatever the case may be, there is enough uh, evidence on historical information. That, you know, I keep all uh, as much data as I can on every draft pick they make. And there's it, it varies wildly in what they value and – some teams can put together three thresholds and some analysts and fans can say, well, the Steelers won't take a receiver that doesn't run a, a 4-2 cone or a, I'm sorry, a 4-2 shuttle. So you can eliminate everyone off that. And you can be very accurate on that. On that, With the Bengals, every time I try to build the thresholds and I can feel confident, you want to hit like 90% of these guys hit this spot. The Bengals, I always feel like I'm in the 75 to 80% range because they take outliers. If I build their their cornerbacks, their average cornerback, and then put thresholds on it, you know who doesn't hit any of those? Drake William Patrick. Jackson. Oh. Drake Kirkpatrick. He just came out of nowhere. You look at it compared to everyone, you're like, you guys should never have drafted Drake Kirkpatrick based on your history. So they get very weird, and they go off their own history plenty of times. And maybe just for one guy out of the last 10, but it'll be a premium pick. It's not even like it's a sixth-round pick they did it, and I would understand that going off your, you know, out-of-bounds. But they will just seem to do it every once in a while, and it makes it, it makes you question, like, who is making this pick? Normally you have standards in a scouting department that you don't you try to be very strong about. And I don't know if that's true with the Bengals or not, but you can see it with other teams. And then maybe if the coaching staff comes in and says, no, I don't care what the testing says, I really like this guy, and then they draft him. So I think there definitely is a disconnect, or there was before. Has that led to more good or bad outcomes? You mentioned Dre Kirkpatrick. Well, like uh, Geno Atkins would be an outlier. Also, yeah. they wouldn't, and they've the reason they drafted Marcus Hardison instead of Grady Jarrett was because of some of these these size things they look for, and it's stupid. But you know, so sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I was just curious because I was going to say that seems like it's a good thing to have that flexibility to not always stick to these hard and fast rules. It, it helps keep your eyes open to guys that, you know, don't have the prototypical size, but then they, yeah. they like you just said, they make the mistake with Hardison and, and, and Grady Jarrett. So, Right, but they luck out getting Atkins. And it only works when it works, right? right. Like the Steelers yeah. continuously draft really good receivers. So they have a great formula. And really bad secondary players. <laughs> right. So they need to throw out their secondary formula and their edge rushing formula, and they need to, you know – be really strong on the receiver formula. So when you find it, yeah, keep pushing it. But uh, I would rather be flexible with standards, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm the next question here. Nilo Rex, right? Yep. Man, we're that far already. We're, we're reaching the end, guys. Uh, he says, or asks, of the prospects that have won the first round of Mock Madness, choose one you feel is most likely to fall at 42. And he puts gas mask bongs notwithstanding and vice versa uh one one loser also so choose also one loser most likely to be drafted at 11 most likely to be drafted at 11 loser i mean is it a tackle is it is it brian burns did brian burns lose brian burns did lose i'm trying to find a bracket 
He lo- I got it right in my hand right now. And Brian Burns lost to uh, Josh Allen in the first round. Here we go. Loser is most likely to be drafted at 11. Let's say I'd say Drew Locke is one. I'd say Brian Burns is one. I'd say Christian Wilkins. All of the losers, I think, are likely to be drafted at 11. Andre Jawan Taylor. Rashawn Gary. Jawan Taylor. Not Noah Fant. I'd say Noah Fant is our one loser that I don't think will be drafted at 11. Yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland Farrell probably as well. We made this list based on players we thought would make sense. So, you know, it's no surprise now they still make sense. Yeah. Uh, of the winners, most likely to fall to 42. Let's see. Not at Oliver, not Josh Allen, not Dwayne Haskins, Sweat. not Devin White, not Devin Bush, not TJ. Sweat. Yeah, Sweat. That's it. Easy, it's easy Sweat. sweat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> we we, we picked these players such that we thought they'd be realistic targets at 11. So it's, I think uh, we did a good job using yeah. that. that um, now that question. we look back on it, yeah. Right. <laughs> Way to go us. Our last question comes from Ken at Raisin? Let us know how that's supposed to be pronounced. I think Joe has a pretty good theory on it. If the Bengals were to load up on one side of the ball with picks, which would make more of a positive impact? And then maybe they load the other side of the ball the next year. This is unrealistic, but I think it's fun, an idea. Um, I think defense has more of an impact. And I say that because you can rotate more. There's almost like 15, 16 starters on defense. Whereas maybe on offense, if you include two tight ends, two running backs, and three three receivers, you you get a significant amount of starters there too, starters with quotations, but I think you can rotate an entire defensive line. I think you can have a whole set of nickel linebackers rather than, you know, you can have almost run linebackers and and coverage linebackers. So I think you could probably get four or five rookie defensive players to play. Whereas I think on offense, maybe you get a tackle to play. Maybe you get a third running back to take a couple snaps while someone's hurt. Maybe the third tight end will play. Maybe the fourth receiver. So I think it's probably much more opportunity for defensive guys, if they're good, to to crack uh, at least a, a role on defense. Yeah, I think the way the roster is constructed, the opportunities for an offensive rookie to get on the field are by injury or by being like crazy excellent good, right? So- if you drafted three linebackers, round one, two, three, chances they start start maybe yeah. the first round guy starts well the first round guy should i hope so Devin the Bush other guys start. not starting second third round linebackers if you've already drafted one in the first round they're not going to start over vigil and preston brown i think it could happen you take jermaine pratt in round two now okay or he's probably going to go round three that could be your replacement for preston brown yeah, i don't know if it's a 2019 yeah I think so. The reason this question is is defense is because it's easier to get those guys in the field. I agree with that. If you think about if they were to only pick offense, that means that they're drafting guys that are going to beat veterans, and that's the only way they're making an impact on the offense this year. The offense is pretty set. Yeah, unless mostly unless, because like they're I paying said, them, right? Right. Well, they have veterans at all these positions. The only way a rookie right. comes in is if they beat out a guy they're expecting to start right now. Which and there's not many spots for that. Maybe they're open to that. I mean, I think there's one at receiver if somebody beats out Ross and, and Ross is just gone, which is sad, but it, it, there's a possibility that Ross is done, right? And then he gets traded next week. Yeah, on next week, literally a week from today, Thursday, when we're recording. Um, there's a chance that, that a tackle could get some time. There's a chance that a tight end could get some time, but that's it. On the defensive right. side of the ball, defensive linemen can rotate in whenever they want. A corner could easily... 
you know, get on the field with injuries and stuff like that. A safety could get on the field if he's a big safety uh, in dime packages or whatever it is. Linebackers, yep. we talked about the rotation. So, yeah, defensive side of the ball can make a more positive impact in one year. I just want to draft all special teamers one year. Oh, yeah. Give me gotta seven shore punters. up that third side of the ball. Yeah, I got, got to get my four-string punter. You'd, you'd get a good one. Yeah. Have the best four-string punter in the NFL. No, I just mean if you get four punters and bring them into camp, one of them should be really good. What about my fourth string guy, Joe? He doesn't make the roster. You trade him for assets for no, next I, year. I want four punters. I'm going to run a four-punter formation. You're not going to know who I'm going to snap it to. Deception. Something like that. You don't You don't like the four-punter formation, huh? I'm trying to think of how that would work and how if it could be beneficial at all. It's not that I don't like it. I'm just trying to figure out what I can do with that. Nothing. It's a terrible that, idea. <laughs> that's how my mind works. You can give me a shit salad, and I'm going to think, how can I make this taste good? Yeah. That's, and that's why I'm such a good Bengals fan. That's why you're a great Bengals fan. <laughs> oh, man. Always ending the show on negative notes. But, I don't know, glass half full, maybe? Question mark? Question. That's been the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Next week, we will be full of content. Draft week, we're kicking things up a notch. We will be with you through the draft and on our regular recording schedule. If the Bengals trade back, Joe will be at Avengers Endgame. Yep, that's the only break I'm taking next week because I've got like four things coming out for The Athletic. I'm doing a bunch of podcasts around the internet world, and we are going to record Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And then the next Sunday, we're right back into the next week. Maybe we'll take that one off. We'll see. We may take a day. I need to see Avengers Endgame as well. I think I'm going to be seeing it on Friday. So we'll see how that goes. And they're going to draft five guys at least out of 11 picks, right? 11? Uh, They're at least going to draft five guys that I've never seen before. So I need time to watch tape also. That's why I've been putting all those undrafted undrafted guys in uh, in our spreadsheet there. Great. Anyway, that'll do it for us. Go subscribe to the podcast on Himalaya, Google Play, iTunes, whatever you use to get your podcasts, and we will keep you company whenever you want somebody to talk to you about the Bengals. Have a good one, Bengals fans. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.